Greetings, welcome to this episode of our mini-series How Talent Acquisition Works, an Inside View. I'm Anthony Haynes, I'm Communications Director of FJ Wilson Talent Services. Now, throughout this series, we'll be seeking to shed light on what goes on within a talent agency with the aim of helping our stakeholders, organisations and individuals to develop a perspective on how to work with a talent agency most effectively. The series explores the talent acquisition process from the perspective of each of the roles involved. So for the most part, the series is arranged by role with an interview for each of the major roles involved in the process. In all the previous episodes, we've examined the various roles that people in the recruitment agency play by uh, talking about those roles one by one. The purpose of today's episode is to step back from that and achieve an overview, think about how an agency works as a whole. And to help me do that, I'm delighted to say we have with us our uh, the Managing Director of FJ Wilson Talent Services, Fiona Wilson. So greetings, Fiona. Hello, Anthony. Lovely to be here. Very excited to be a guest. <laughs> <laughs> and we're, we're be, um, we'll be examining what makes FJ Wilson distinctive because I think each agency will have its own distinctive hallmarks its own strengths and quite possibly its own weaknesses as well so we, we, we we've been exam we've been giving some thoughts mm. of what makes um, our agency distinctive with a view of um, emphasizing the kinds of thinking one has to do when running an agency and the kind of considerations one has to make in terms of how do you position a, a talent agency so as um, regular listeners to this podcast will know, we like um, very often to break things down by considering three factors in an episode, what we call the bronze, silver and gold approach. So Fiona, I know you've been giving some thought to that. Mm-hmm. My first question, therefore, is what's your bronze point in terms of what makes FJ Wilson Talent Services distinctive as an agency? Yeah, thank thank you for that introduction. I think from a bronze medal perspective or a bronze positioning perspective, it must be around our specialist expertise. We've focused for 14 years now on our main market, which has consisted of learning organisations, professional bodies and membership organisations. So as a result, we're now really extremely well connected with that sector across specialist, senior and executive level professionals. So that would definitely be a bronze position. It's our specialist expertise for the sector. And could you just um, characterise a bit more what we're, what that sector is? How do you define that sector? I think it falls into sort of three areas, really. It's, a, it's sort of professional membership bodies and associations, learning organisations uh, defined as being sort of awarding organisations, either in sort of the private um, or non-for-profit area, and also membership organisations, which might not be a professional body. Mm. And we were um, influenced particularly early on by the story of another agency, actually, mm. which is the Sophie Sophie McPherson agency, mm. where they had chosen this approach of colonising a sector. Mm. So they chose arts management mm. and they said, that's what we're going to do. We're going mm. to be recruiters for the arts management sector. So we followed a, a similar strategy for, for our own chosen sector. Mm. Now, 
inside recruitment, people might know of those kind of agencies and think, yeah, yeah, sector approach, that's mm-hmm. obvious. To someone who's not working in recruitment, that might not mm-hmm. be obvious. I mean, the, the, you might, if you don't work in recruitment, you might think, mm-hmm. well, why don't you just do, you know, why don't you just mm-hmm. do roles in any industry? Why mm-hmm. on earth do you have to specialise? Mm-hmm. You know, why, why would you... Why would you not want business from as many different sectors as possible? Mm. So what, what do you see as a, the, the sort of driving mm. advantage mm. of specialising by sector? I think that's a good way of driving advantage. Fundamentally, over that 14 years of being in business, we've really established a feel now within our company for the characteristic values and culture mm. of of the sector. And as a result, all our, all our, all our team are highly experienced. So our researchers, for example, are very proficient and strong at searching in relevant fields alongside the sector. We have a very strong working knowledge of the employees in this market. So that really enables us to do one of two things when we're working on a recruitment assignment for for a client. Either one, It enables us to draw directly on that registered population of candidates and that working knowledge when we're working on a role that demands someone comes from the sector. So an example of that would be, I don't know, the head of an awarding organisation where candidates can only come from another awarding organisation because of the knowledge, for example, of Ofqual, if it's regulated, etc. However, there are plenty of roles where the the clients uh, really want to be more diverse and look at candidates who will map over. Some of those, for example, might be looking at the regulators to move into a professional membership body, or if it's a marketing role, looking for candidates who, for example, really want to shift from the for-profit to the non-for-profit, but perhaps come from entirely different backgrounds. So that organisation can capitalise on more commercial skills coming into, mm. in, into that charity. So with the latter, we're again very well placed to uh, really engage uh, candidates from the offset about the nuances of that particular sector. And that's what gives them a distinctive advantage from working with a recruiter who is just not familiar with the sector. I think one thing I've noticed is it enables us to explore the, the boundary or the relationship between the sector and other mm. sectors. So sometimes you will have organisations who are happy to uh, consider candidates from outside their particular mm. sector, but that doesn't mean that any old candidate is going to be appropriate. They're going mm. to have to kind of fit with the mm-hmm. culture of the sector. And I think I think one of the virtues of specialising is you kind of develop a bit of a sixth sense mm-hmm. for what, that, what, what the culture is and what the characteristic values are. So thank you. That, so that's the bronze mm. point, that we, 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 we specialise in, in, in a particular market. Mm. What, what's the silver point? I think the silver point for me has to be our focus on diversity, equity and inclusion in practice. And what I mean by sort of emphasising the in practice part is the fact we do have a policy, but our approach is distinctive, I believe, because it's characterised mm. by policy statements and not sufficient as as, as, as a yeah. principle. So it's very common if you yes. look at the tenders that come out for the bigger pieces of recruitment business it tends to be quite a tick box exercise do you have a policy on whistleblowing equity diversity etc modern slavery 
but what they don't necessarily examine in practice is what are the what are the steps that you take in screening to really embody that from from a team perspective so i think our distinctive point of difference to a client is how we operate in practice in this regard yes i, I mean i think we both have a distinctive dislike of corporate blah (laughs) and there's an analogy here with you know when people are talking about their environmentalism Mm. you just get this greenwash Mm. kind of full of we value this and we value that Mm. and it's the same with diversity equity and inclusion Mm. so I recently wrote for a client for one of our documents I I said um, our view is that policy is uh, policy statements are necessary but not sufficient Mm -hmm. and actually I thought quite a long time before writing that because I wasn't quite sure about the necessary bit. Like, actually, isn't isn't the thing that doesn't the thing that really matter is what you actually do? Mm-hmm. Like, in practice, do you do things to help mm-hmm. promote diversity, equality, mm-hmm. and inclusion? And if you do, like, what's policy document mm-hmm. for? And in the end, I thought, no, you probably do. You, we probably do need a document. I mean, partly just as something to use in house mm. in discussions between between staff. Mm. But but it, 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 I still I still feel that the thing that matters is yeah. Well, what what do you actually do then? Mm. So so um, could you give us some examples? I mean, mm. what, what, what what do you think is distinctive or mm-hmm. characteristic about our approach mm-hmm. to? The practice mm-hmm. of diversity, equality, inclusion. Yeah, well, I think first and foremost, all all our consultants and directors, so <clears throat> myself and actually you, are sort of trained APSCO mm. Inclusive Plus recruiters. Um, APSCO being mm. the Association of Professional uh, Staffing Companies, uh, an association to which which we belong. And what we've done is use that training that we've received to develop networks and search strategies to. In- include diverse and represented and non-traditional groups. So I think the topics of the training really have focused in, I suppose, for us practically on a, on a few sort of areas. The, the first is around we're, we're very happy to invite, advise our clients on the conception and text of key documents. So for notably the job description and any advertisement. And that draws mm. on our mm. experience of working with candidates together with those insights gleaned from that type of training, as well as workshops and webinars that we regularly attend on um, sort of the broader area of, of course, diversity, equity and inclusion. So we can really help the client to assess documents and identify potential problems concerning bias and discrimination. Mm. I think the second point around is the advertising platforms we use routinely include more sort of niche sites, including Pink Jobs, which is branded as the world's largest equal opportunity focused job board, and Even Break, which is branded as the mm. job board, the job board for disabled candidates. So, again, what we do is we use the training we've received to develop those networks and search strategies, but we also do the same to inform our screening protocols, I think, on a -hmm. a practical level. That's really key. So that involves our consultants using structured questions posed to each candidate. They uh, have immediate note-taking to capture the actual information and language used, and also the consultants are trained on scoring against common competencies which are derived directly from the agreed brief with the client yes so on a practical level that gives a flavor for some of the tightness that we have in terms of the screening I think the other area 
is we, we, we prepare a standard all candidates for the selection process. So that, that prepping is designed to benefit all candidates, but can be of particular help in supporting non-traditional candidates who may be yes. less familiar with specific formal practices. So yes. um, we place sp- special emphasis on supporting the prepping by providing candidates with concise, practical, as the word again, practical resources. So those include, or these include, the likes of PDFs that are downloadable from our website, our podcast, obviously we're doing an episode today, um, and a programme of free webinars on such topics as how to write to optimise CVs, how to give presentations, how to perform as an interviewee. So the main way in which those resources support diversity is by helping to supplement our candidates' social capital, if you will. Yes, exactly. And to build, build individual confidence, fundamentally by demystifying the recruitment processes and making their logics explicit. So in addition to those general points, the resources frequently pinpoint specific issues concerning diversity. For example, on our podcast, we have an episode around what experience do your candidates really need? And that highlights how unnecessarily conservative assumptions can reduce the available pool of talent and result in sameness amongst recruited staff, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So again, as an agency, we are, you know, very focused and have been now for some considerable time at investing in resources both for the candidates but also for the clients to really promote this particular area and what can be achieved by obviously being more open in terms of non-traditional candidates. Yeah, I think what interests me there is the relationship between good practice in terms of diversity, Mm. equality and inclusion and good practice full stop. Mm. So, for instance, if an employer is saying, oh, you must have so many years Mm. of experience of X and actually that isn't needed, that has two effects. I mean, one is um, uh, the, the employer is perhaps without meaning to actually making it harder for more a diverse field of mm. candidates to apply. They're also just making it harder for lots of people to apply. Like they're really just limiting the field. So it benefits in two ways. Mm. I think I think that's true of the screening as mm. well, that by focusing very much on the objective criteria, particularly the person specification, it seems to me that's helping to ensure we get candidates who are good fits for the job but but in the process it's helping to do what we can to eliminate eliminate bias that might be clicking in there so that's just silver Mm -hmm. so here's the big question then what's the gold medal uh in terms of the what makes fj wilson Mm. distinctive Mm. what 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 characterizes Mm. the approach i think over the 14 years where where I've landed in terms of the answer to this question must be around our distinction on providing continuity management, effective continuity management and business contingency when working on a recruitment assignment for a client. Mm. And, and what do we do? Mm. Uh, you know, uh, again, we both we both dis- we're both suspicious mm. of grand statements. Mm. So I'm going to be suspicious of what you've said. What, <laughs> come on, what do we what, what do we do yeah. to provide that? Continuity? Well, I think sort of, you know, a long term emphasis of our business has been to sort of build that continuity management into our structure. So in particular, some of our team roles straddle functions, account management, candidate management, search, administration, 
So typically, each function is worked on by more than one person within a project team. And the upshot of this is that in the event of a disruption caused, for example, by staff absence or a laptop blowing up at home for one of our workers, we're well placed to provide continuous service without any disruption in service delivery to the client or the candidates involved. So if we peel that back, when we are engaged for a recruitment assignment by a client, we always have, always have more than one person working on each role. And that also enables us to Mm. ensure a full understanding of the requirement and of course, to this point, to provide business contingency and continuity from from you know from our team. So I think that's the key thing. It is again, it's it's the cross training um, skill wise. That's that that's mm. underneath it all. But on a practical level, yes, that satisfies that ability on a skills matrix. But when it comes to the delivery aspect, because we work as a team, there is no a risk of or, or the risk of service disruption is beyond reasonable doubt eradicated i remember you saying to us early on you 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 quoted to me um something a client had said along the lines of um you might think that using a small talent agency Mm. is inherently (laughs) more risky than using a large Mm. agency but then it turns out it's all to do with how they're organized Mm -hmm. and if in a large agency the account is primarily um dealt with by one person and they happen to be away ill or whatever that's a risk and so we've always had this uh, built-in deliberate duplication and overlapping of yeah overlapping and, of and again on a practical level one of the steps which wasn't easy at all for us to implement is the elimination really of personal email unless it's to do with uh, setting up a team's call for a client mm. or a candidate um, or internal mm. communication so we have a team-wide shared mailbox that is timetabled from a from a management perspective but again that is, is quite a big practical thing where if someone does go off on plan there's none of this worry around how do we access any of the emails how do we get, get any of that communication there's a fluency that comes from that practical step of how uh, we interact on, on on an external on an external level I think what's interested me um as a director, is how this emphasis on continuity management takes you into virtually all areas of the management and, and indeed the strategy mm. of the company. So I remember we had one year where we had fantastic growth, mm. but it, uh, that when we looked at the figures, a lot of that growth was driven by a small number of very good mm. clients. And the temptation is to think, oh, that's fantastic, let's carry on like that. But, of course, then you think, well, supposing something happens to one of those clients, mm-hmm. that's not such good news. And then we realise that as well as all the usual metrics about, you know, revenue, profitability, profit margins on, actually just the sheer number of clients was a yes. really key key metric for us. Yes. Um, and I think the other thing is we've um, – that I've noticed from that point of view is that we've always been pretty conservative in terms of managing our finances. finances. And um, we like to kind of think about contingencies. You can never think of all contingencies. We didn't, we we, we hadn't truly planned (laughs) for the scale of COVID, you know, did did anyone. But um, but, uh, we we like to think ahead and think, Mm. well, what would we do if, and then mm. make sure we've got the resources. Although building on that point, obviously we hadn't anticipated at all in our regular board meetings where we scan the business environment to identify changes. We'd never envisaged a pandemic in any of those conversations but you're absolutely right one Mm. of the things that 
been instilled from when we started working together at the inception of the business is is a healthy conservatism with regards to um, sort of the finances. So at startup, we hmm. we were funded entirely by, of course, myself, and subsequently our growth has been funded entirely from business revenue. So we've never had any loans from banks or external investors. And we always maintain a healthy balance sheet as, a, as indicated by accounts at, at company's house. But what we do yeah. is have that uh, formula where we don't um, strip the, the, the cash in hand, as it were, at any point. So actually when COVID impacted uh, very dramatically we were of course in a healthy financial situation where mm-hmm. we did have to make some very difficult decisions when it came to reducing team size etc but we were able to uh, still survive and pull and pull through that period whereas of course a lot of recruitment agencies did go bust as a lot of other organizations did during that time yes Mm. and even on a more sort of you know humdrum less dramatic Mm. level I mean stuff happens I can think of a couple of clients where they've run into difficulties Mm -hmm. and and had we been heavily reliant on them, we would have thought, "Oh, mm-hmm. you know, well, this 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 is in a mess." Whereas, actually, we think, "Well, that's not great," but we we can kind of uh, take take that in our stride. Mm-hmm. Yeah, completely. And you know, we have established robust practices to ensure our you know ensure again our focus on com- confidentiality and data protection. So, for example, we hold cyber essential certification, which was quite you know, involved, to say the least, to get off the ground, just to make sure that we really understood what we needed to satisfy with yes. everyone since, again, obviously, uh, the, the start of the business being based from home um, and really understanding what we did need to have and what we didn't mm. need to have. And that, again, is now something that we've continued to subscribe to that recertification. But we do you know, and we also try and keep abreast of any sort of relevant changes related to that in our industry. And that, again, being a registered member of APSCO is very helpful to keep abreast of anything coming through, which we need to adapt adapt to. So on a broader level, when you're looking at the um, sort of uh, the positioning of a potential supplier as a recruitment agency, we, we, we weigh in heavily in that regard in terms of our business practices and our robustness and resilience on a financial level yes and on that financial note i think a lot of sort of business gurus might look at our accounts and say oh you're not being adventurous Mm. enough you should be reinvesting Mm. we we do finance our growth by reinvesting but it's a you should be reinvesting far more and so on and um you know, I now look at it and think, well, I'm reading in the press about inverted uh, uh, yield curves yes. in the bond markets. That nearly always means there's a recession yes, coming on. Indeed. And and then I think, yeah, somehow if we had reinvested all that profit, mm-hmm. all these people telling us to do so, suddenly they wouldn't be around mm-hmm. when that happened to mm-hmm. kind of say, oh, yeah, we messed up a bit there. Yeah, complete. Yeah, completely. So, Fiona, thank you very much. Uh, you've, you, you've given us an insight into not only, I think, the distinctive behaviours of FJ Wilson Talent Services, but also the kinds of things one has to think about in terms of running an mm. agency as a whole. So thanks. Thank you very much for appearing. Oh, you're very thanks, welcome. Fiona. Thank you so much. 
This podcast is produced by Dr. Bart Hallmark. The music's by Harry Chalmers and the podcast is published by FJ Wilson Talent Services. If you'd like to contact us about the services we offer, we offer recruitment services. We offer talent development services to help you develop the talent you already have on your staff. And we also offer coaching to help develop individuals. If you'd like to contact us about our services, you're, of course, very welcome to. And the best way to do that is via our website, which has a very easy uh, URL. It's simply, all lowercase, fjwilson.com. That's all one word, fjwilson, fjwilson.com. Hope to hear from you. Thank you for listening.